Welcome to Canvas Church. You are listening to our weekly celebration service message. Thank you for tuning in. I'm going to read to you a couple different passages this morning. Thank you so much for being at Canvas Church. How many of you guys glad you came to church this morning? A few of you? Okay, well, we'll get the rest of you before the end of the service. So great. I met some uh, new people on the way. I love meeting new people. Welcome to church. Glad you're here. Once again, I just want you to know if, if this is new to you, this style of church, this is who we are. Uh, people ask, what kind of a church are we? And I tell them real simply, we're a church that loves Jesus, but people want a little bit more than that. You know, are you, are you Assembly of God? Are you Baptist? Are you Pentecostal? And, and people would label us charismatic. And so a, a definition needs to be put with that. What is charismatic? And here's my simple definition of charismatic for Canvas Church. We're a church that, that, that teaches and believes in sound Bible doctrine and embraces and practices the gifts of the Spirit as seen in 1 Corinthians 12. If you've never read 1 Corinthians 12, I encourage you to do that. You'll see the gifts of the Spirit there. And we, we not only embrace those, but we want to practice those. We want to see those in operation in our church services. Our, our faith is genuine, our worship expressive. Maybe you've never been to a worship set like that before where I said people are clapping, people are trying to dance, or people are raising their hands. Our worship is expressive, and our evangelism is real practical. And that, that's Canvas Church, and we're glad you're here. Numbers chapter 16. I'm going to read uh, to you a couple pass, uh, verses there. Then I'm going to read to you out of... 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Number 16, starting in verse 44. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, get away from the midst of this congregation. Now why does why God telling them to get away from the midst of the congregation? This is the people that Moses had led out of Egypt. They're now walking through the wilderness and God's done so many awesome things for them. The reason that God is telling Moses to get away from the congregation is because God's about ready to kill them all. And the reason he's about ready to kill them all is because they have been going against God's given authority. This isn't the first time. If you go all the way back and read from the beginning of chapter 16, you're going to see that this is the second time within the context of this chapter that God's people are rebelling against God's given authority. And because of that, God's not happy. And so he says, hey, Moses, Aaron, get away from these guys. Verse 45, get away from the midst of the congregation that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces, who's that, Moses and Aaron, and said, take your censer, Moses said, take your censer and put fire on it from the altar and lay incense on it and carry it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For wrath has gone out from the Lord, the plague has begun. So Aaron took it as Moses said and ran in the midst of the assembly and behold the plague had already begun among the people. And he put on the incense and made atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living. And the plague was stopped. Where Aaron stood, he literally stopped the plague from moving any further. And therefore, he stood between the dead and the living. The very spot which he planted his feet, the plague stopped. Now, those who died in the plague were 14,700 besides those who had died in the affair of Korah, which is at the beginning of the chapter. And Aaron returned to Moses at the entrance of the tent of meeting when the plague had stopped and where Moses or where Aaron stood 
the plague was stopped. Now go with me to the New Testament. I'm going to read you 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Anybody in Christ this morning? Come on, you're a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, here's what I realize every time we see things like this in the Bible, whether it be First uh, Peter 2.9, you're a chosen generation, a royal priest of God's own special people. You can't just celebrate about who you are and what God's done in your life because the very next verse goes on to say, so that you can proclaim the excellencies of him who brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Check this out. So we're new creation in Christ Jesus. Old has passed away, all things have become new. Awesome. All this is from God, who is through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry to stand between the living and the dead. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And gave us the ministry to go out and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thus, thus stop death from coming to them. Because anyone who's in Christ is a new creation and will live forever with Jesus. He's given us this ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And Aaron stood that day between the dead and the living. God, we thank you for your word today. God, we thank you that your word is awesome. God, your word is amazing. And I pray that in the next few moments that we have together, that Lord, you would speak to every person in this place. God, I pray that you would encourage us. I pray that for some of us, you'd correct us. But God, no matter who we are, we'd walk out of this place completely in love with you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 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 Welcome once again to Canvas Church. So glad you're here. I don't know if the house lights are all the way up, but if they aren't, could we get them up? Are they, is there any more in there? Ah, there's people out there. Awesome. I can see you. Uh, but welcome once again uh, to church. Uh, I want to talk to you this morning real quickly on the, on the thought of standing between the dead and the living. Standing between the dead and the living. As I mentioned already, here in this passage, to fully understand it, you need to go back and, and read all of 16, but I kind of just brought you up to speed. The, the, the people of God, the children of Israel, who have now followed Moses out of Egypt, and now God has established uh, tribes uh, with different um, uh, duties and different things that they would do. Aaron's tribe uh, are the ones that are the Levites. They're the priests. They're the ones that um, take care of all the, all the temple stuff, the tabernacle stuff, and that's their, their duty. Uh, and Moses, obviously the one that's leading the people according to God's uh, desire. And, and if you look at the beginning of chapter 16, uh, Korah and some of his buddies get upset and they begin to look at Aaron and Moses and begin to say, hey, who made you guys better than us? Okay. Moses and Aaron never declared that they were better than them. They're just walking in obedience to what God told them to do. And, uh, but they get upset and say, hey, who made you the one that gets to call the shots? And Moses is like, God. <laughs> you can't really argue with that one, right? And so then God does something. He shows up. God shows up and begins to show the children of Israel that truly Moses and Aaron are God's chosen instruments at the time. And uh, what happens is a pretty fascinating story. The earth actually opens up. 
and swallows all those that were in the rebellion. Now, I don't know how that looked fully. I don't know if it was like the ground, like a crack happened and people fell in and the crack was still there. I, I, I think that it was like it literally ate them, right? And it closed back up and tom, 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 okay? Anybody live, anybody live near a fault line in San Diego? Okay, probably not the nighttime story you want to read before you go to bed, but they rebel. God opens up the earth, eats them, okay? Pretty crazy. Literally a few verses later, now the people are mad at Moses and Aaron because God judged those people. It's like a no-win situation for Moses and Aaron. And so now God is really hot. And he said, you know what? Forget it. You two, step aside. I'm going to kill everybody I just let out of Egypt. Okay? Pretty crazy story. There's lots of takeaways we could take away from this story. Uh, one which is clear, I think, throughout the whole entire thing is, is how are you living your life? Are you living according to God's plan? Are you living according to the way God set things up? Are you walking in obedience to the authorities that are over you in your life? Pretty clear, I think. Okay, Because twice they rebel against God's authority and twice God gets mad and kills people. Okay. Um, it's really, there's only a couple times when God does that, and it's usually in, in regards to that, okay? So if there's ever, uh, you know, a lesson you want to take away from this, you know, out of chapter 16, it is, hey, what am I doing with God's given authority? That's why Romans chapter 13, I believe, says, hey, you know what you need to do? You need to pray for all those that are in authority over you, okay? Now, whether that be your parents, okay? Yeah, you're all here because you have parents, Right? And whether that be your parents or whether that be your boss, does anybody have a boss? Okay. How many of you guys ha have literally wanted to rebel against your boss before? Okay. You better be watching, Caleb. The earth will open up, trust me, right here in church. That'll be the best object lesson ever. Like, if in church, you know, one of the pastors, that would kind of be cool, actually. Um, I'd be sad later, but maybe. Um, you know, whether it be your boss, whether it be parents, whether it be teachers, whether it be government officials, uh, whether it be counselors in your life, whether it be pastors, God has established authority figures in our life. And the Bible in Romans 13 says, hey, here's what you ought to do. You ought to pray for them. Not grumble, not complain, okay? Okay? Honestly, just go back and read Numbers 16 anytime you feel like killing your boss, okay? Boom. But what we ought to do, we ought to pray for them. And I think that's a clear takeaway from this, from this passage. I think probably the greatest takeaway is this, though, is the picture of Aaron and what Aaron does in that moment. That, 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 that he hears the voice of Moses, Aaron, run, grab fire, take it out in the midst of the people and make atonement for them. And here, right here in this passage, we literally have a foreshadow of Christ Jesus. That Jesus would be the one that would go before all of the people. Why? Because there's death coming, and it's only those that are in Christ Jesus that will go to heaven and live with him for eternity. And so Jesus comes on the scene in the New Testament, and he comes amongst the people just like Aaron did. Because if you read the Bible, you understand that he was in heaven, and the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. He came down where the people were because the plague was coming, and because of Jesus, because of the cross, because of his life, death, burial, and resurrection, he makes atonement for all humanity so the plague can be stopped. This is what's happening right here. This is a, this is a shadow of that as Aaron steps out as the high priest and begins to make atonement for all the people so the plague stops. It's powerful. 
That's awesome. But I also think there's more in here for us today because we already know what Jesus did. Jesus became that high priest. Jesus came and dwelt amongst humanity so that the plague could be stopped. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The plague stops in their life, and man, they get to have life and life more abundant. Awesome plan. And we see that clearly in this passage. But when we read into the New Testament like we did today and we see 2 Corinthians chapter 5, there's something that we see here now that we ought to do. What are we to do? We're to be ambassadors for Christ. We're to plead with people, be reconciled to God. That we with the Holy Spirit on our life are to go out and live amongst the people and stand amongst the people and begin to make a difference in their life as we plead with them to be reconciled to God. One person, one person stands in and everything changes. One person steps out in obedience. Moses says, Aaron, go. He steps out in obedience. God says, Jesus, go. Jesus steps out in obedience. He only did that which he saw and heard the Father, right? Jesus steps out in obedience, and because of that, Aaron steps out in obedience to Moses, and because of that, the plague is stopped. In that place where he stood, the Bible says he stood between the dead and the living. One person walking in obedience under the power and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit can change the whole entire atmosphere around them. The reason you are at the job you're at is not just because you needed a job. It's not just because you're talented in that industry. It's not just because it's the only thing you could come up with. The reason you're in the job you're in is because God has strategically placed you there so that you could stand between the dead and the living. The reason you're at the school that you're at, the reason you're in the neighborhood you're in, the reason you're in the family you're in, says God placed you there. So that you, carrying the power of the Holy Spirit, armed with the Word of God, could stand between the dead and the living. So where you stand, the plague would stop. One person, one person, one person, one person under the inspiration, the power of the Holy Spirit, armed with the Word of God, changes everything. Makes a difference in somebody's life. Makes a difference in somebody's life. I remember not that long ago, I have three older brothers, and, uh, and so I'm the youngest of four. And, um, and I'm sure you know already that I'm, I'm the better-looking, smarter one of all four. Thank you. I, I only needed one amen, and that was the one I needed right there, okay? You know how some families, they have, like, the black sheep of the family? I don't know what it was with me and my brothers. I was the only white sheep of the family. Come on, somebody. I had three brothers. You can ask my mom. It's true. I had three brothers go before me. To pave the way for my success. I just watched them make all the mistakes. I said, okay, don't do that, or at least be sneakier about it if you do it. Come on, somebody. How many out there thankful for older siblings? You know what I'm talking about, right? You watch them and say, okay, yeah, they blew it. If I'm going to do that, I'm going to do it like this, you know? Come on. I wish I could say I learned and said I wouldn't do it at all, but I'd be lying. I grew up in a, in a family, and a great family, and three older brothers, and uh, all of my brothers, man, passionate about Jesus today, but that wasn't always the case. Uh, my oldest brother, who was really like a second father to me because he's so much older than I am, I think he's uh, 16, 15 or 16 years older than I am. 
And so I still remember when I was, when I was real young and he would come back from Bible school in, in, you know, whether it be winter break or whether it be the summer, he'd come back and he would hang out with me and we'd go build forts in the woods. It was just awesome. I, I loved having an older brother that age. And we'd hang out together. And so he would go to Bible school. He would graduate from Bible school. He would go on to have a very successful business in Portland, Oregon. And, uh, and he would become a very sex, successful businessman. And, and uh, he would continue to walk down that path. And he was serving God. But, but he opened up the door to some stuff in his life. And when he opened up this door to some stuff in his life, it went downhill. And it went downhill very fast. He opened up the door to some stuff in his life, and he ended up getting a divorce, losing his marriage, losing his kids, losing his business, which was one of the second largest roofing businesses in Portland, Oregon at the time. And he would lose all of this, and he would get so bad that he would end up living on the street for many years, and, 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 and he would find himself now uh, involved with meth and other drugs, running from the law, warrants out for his arrest. He would find himself now working as a con artist, conning people in, into doing business with him just so he could take the money and we'll have him one day and share his testimony. It's kind of one of those things that it's, it's, it's too hard to believe. He conned his way into so many different industries that he only needed to last for a certain amount of time uh, so that he could get enough money to go buy drugs. Through this time, I know that my mom was praying, I know that my dad was praying, and, and I was praying, and my wife and I were just newlyweds at the time. And for whatever reason, there was a connection with me and my brother, and he would reach out to me. I still remember the night he was in jail, and he got arrested. He had one phone call, and he made that one phone call to me. And he called me, and he needed help, and my heart went out to him, and I, could, I prayed. And me and my other brother, we actually drove up one time just to, just to meet with him to pray. We got so extreme as my mom, he needed clothes, and so my mom and dad bought him clothes, but they would, they would slit open the, the, the heel of the sole, and they would hide prayer claws in there with scriptures on them. Come on. When you're a mama and you're desperate, you'll do whatever, right? I mean, it was bad. And I remember he finally got into a rehab and relapsed, got back into a rehab, was doing great. And I remember reaching out to his counselor. I said, what do we need to do to make this a success? And he said, if your brother stays in this city, he will relapse again and again and again. You need to get him out of Portland. My wife and I at this time now had lived in San Diego, California, and her brother was living with us at the time. And I remember approaching my wife. Here's my brother, still really an addict, um, has no money. And uh, what basically it came down to is either, he, uh, either we, we collect about, I don't know, a lot of money to pay off something or he goes to prison. And so my wife and I prayed, and God said, hey, I want you to bring him down to San Diego. And so we did. And we, we, we rallied people, we rallied family members. And I remember being such an instrumental part in that. And we got a, a ton of money together and we paid off his debt. And we had to move into our house for about three months. And man, it was a difficult three months. But it was in those three months that life change happened in him. It was in those three months of living in our house. Why? Because I said, God, I'm going to go stand in the midst of my brother's stuff. And I'm going to stand because if he continues down this road, not only is he going to be physically dead, but he's going to be eternity in hell. And so my wife and I, we stepped in. And I, I love to tell the story now today because now he's remarried, has a beautiful wife, has a great job in Las Vegas, Nevada, is serving God, is on the preaching team at his church. And so now it's a beautiful story. 
But that would have never happened unless I was obedient. It's what the Holy Spirit spoke to me. But because I was obedient, God has, has, has absolutely done something awesome in his life. And now he's actually preaching the gospel and people are being transformed. One person standing in the middle of people, dead living, changes everything. I love this picture of, uh, of Aaron this morning because it teaches us so much. And so it, uh, let me just give you these things real quickly. It teaches us so much. Once again, there's, there's so many takeaways that you could take away. And if nothing else, if you don't take away anything else, know this, that this is a, uh, this is a, a type of, of Christ. And that Jesus Christ has stood in the gap for you so that you don't have to be dead any longer, but you can be alive in him. But as Christians and Christ followers, what does this passage mean to us? And I believe 2 Corinthians 5 begins to lay it out, and it begins to get clear that, that we're supposed to take this same anointing, we're supposed to take this same, this same call, and we're supposed to go to our job place, and we're supposed to go to our neighborhood, we're supposed to go to our family, and we're supposed to go to our school, and we're supposed to stand in the gap and intercede on people's behalf so that they can go from dead to living. What can I learn today from Aaron and what he did? If you're, if you're a note taker, write this down. Uh, we can do the things we don't think we can do. We can do the things we don't think we can do. Think about this now. These are the people that wanted to kill Moses and Aaron. And yet in that moment where, where God comes down and says, step away from them, I'm going to consume them, I'm going to annihilate them, something happens in the heart of Moses and Aaron to the point where they drop to their knees, they fall on their face, and they begin to cry out to God. Yet these are the very people that wanted to kill them. I don't know about you, but that, that kind of boggles my mind a little bit until I put it into perspective. Until I realize that these are the people that they have been leading for tens of twenties of years. These are the people that they have been pulled out. These are the people that they were in slavery with. These are the people that they were in bondage with. These are the people that they were making temples for, for Egypt with. These are those people. And see, I think, ladies and gentlemen, the reason that we're fine with other people going to hell is because we've so far removed ourselves from the reality that we were just like them at one time. That we too were in Egypt, we too were in bondage, we too were enslaved. And we too, Moses, had a hard time hearing from God, if you remember. God, had, God got so mad at Moses. The Bible says that the anger of God burned hot against Moses. Rewind. Great story. So if I put it into perspective, that these are the people that Aaron and Moses have been doing life with. These are the people that they were in bondage with. I can see now why they fell down on their face and began to cry out to God. Because they were motivated out of love. Love will motivate you to do things you thought you couldn't do. But the problem is, is ladies and gentlemen, we forget sometimes that we were the ones strung out on drugs, that we were the one bound up in alcohol, that we were the one that was far from God, living a life of disobedience and shame. And we forget that. We like to come to church, and we like to sing, we like to be encouraged by the word, and then we like to go have lunch. 
They're motivated by love, so they fall to their face and they begin to cry out. I don't, I don't know, but I mean, sometimes, I mean, maybe I would have been like, you can kill a couple of them, God. You can do the things you don't think you can do when you're motivated, motivated by love. Listen to me. In, in my line of work, what I do, working with people, and, and if you're a business owner or you're a parent uh, or you, you counsel people, listen to me. Working with people is the hardest thing you'll ever do. Hardest thing. Now, you'll love people until you have no more love to give them, and they'll still do their own thing, make their own decision, and then turn around and blame you when things don't work out. But yet I find myself still loving them because I remember where I was at one time. Love compels us. Love compels us. You can do things you don't think you can do. Think about this. Aaron was about 100 years old. My mom's not there yet. She's not. Although she is closer to 100 than she is to 50. I know, it's just, it's life. Okay? And I tried, as I was studying this passage, I tried to envision my mom running down the street. And I'm sure at one time she was a killer triathlete, but I tried to picture that. Aaron is 100 years old. And I, I don't know, you know, I mean, <laughs> Moses is a smart guy. Aaron, you do it. <laughs> Moses isn't young either. <laughs> I, I'm the leader of this thing. You do it. And so I tried to picture this, this, this hundred-year-old man running. Is anybody with me right now? But the crazy thing is, in other translations, this one it says go quickly. Other translations say run. And you read the very next verse, and guess what it says? It says he ran. He ran. Now, I don't know what that looked like. But there might be a reason why 14,700 died before the plague stopped. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Aaron, go! Okay. Run, Aaron! I am. Okay, it's either he was really slow or he did the first thing that I talked about. There was a few people who say, yeah, I'll let those ones die real quick and then we'll, we'll get there. The crazy thing is, is the Bible said he ran. He didn't hobble. He ran. A hundred years old. You can do the things that you don't think you can do when you're walking in obedience to what God tells you. You can do things that you don't think you can do when you walk in obedience to what God tells you to do. And that's all God wants. God wants your obedience. And when you step out in obedience, you step out in faith, man, it is crazy what happens. Man, when you step out in faith, I still, it doesn't feel like it was that long ago, a little over four and a half years ago, we planted this church. My wife and I and an amazing team that came with us, we planted this church. And, and when I look around, I'm just like, wow, people are actually coming. I don't know why, but they keep coming. It's awesome. 
All we did is step out in faith and obedience and plant a church. We can do the things that we don't think we can do. Why is that? Acts 1.8, the Holy Spirit has empowered you to do so. And if you missed the message two weeks ago, I heard last week was amazing, by the way. I not only heard it was amazing, I actually watched it that night. I'm like that. I was up till late. Watched an amazing service. But if you missed two weeks ago, go back and listen to it. Acts 1.8, the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And if you just do what God's asking you to do. Look at what he does. Aaron, go. And the Bible says he ran, but where did he go? He didn't immediately go to the people. What did Aaron do? Aaron went to the altar, and he got some fire. Aaron didn't just run out into the people and just be like. The Bible says that he runs to the altar, and he gets, he gets some fire. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen, if you and I want to make a difference in people's lives, if you and I want to be that person that goes out and stands in the gap, we've got to be those people that goes to the presence of God and gets some fire on our lives so that when we walk out, we can make a difference in those people's lives. Because as gifted as you are, as talented as you are, as loving and compassionate and smart as you are, you will make absolutely no difference in somebody's life. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. That makes a difference in people's lives. It's not you with your cute little cuddly self. Okay? It's not. It's the Holy Spirit inside of you. And when you go to the altar, when you go to that place of, and I don't just mean church. Is church a part of it? Yes. We should get ourselves to church. Hold each other accountable. Are you serving Jesus? Are you loving your community? But man, when you go to the altar of prayer in the morning, when you go to that place of intercession, in the morning. Intercession works. Intercession. Prayer works. Prayer changes things. Prayer changes the circumstance in people's lives. Prayer works. And so Aaron goes and he gets some fire. And I believe you and I, we need to get some fire. Not just at church. But ladies and gentlemen, what are you doing before you go to work? Man, you want to make a difference at school, your family, your workplace, whatever it is. Man, you, you just get up just a few minutes early and go before the presence of the Lord. Get some fire on you. And just, uh, if, if you have your program inside your program, I want you to just open it up if you couldn't mind. Inside there, there's this 2014 for 2014. Starting this Tuesday, we are going to pray 2014 minutes for 2014. It's about 33 days of prayer broken up, half hours, segments, and then Saturday night, one hour prayer time. But here's what I want you to do. I want you, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to pray for your prayer request. We're going to see God do amazing things. I believe that God, in these last couple months of 2013, and as we go into 2014, God's going to do something so supernatural and mind-blowing in our church. And it's going to happen through you. It's going to happen through you. As you get the presence and the fire of God on you. So here's what I would love you to do, and we'll give you more time to do it. But as I'm still preaching, and we're going to finish up here in a few moments, but as I'm still preaching, could you write down your greatest prayer request? There's a place for that in that uh, 2014. Just write down your greatest prayer need. What is it? What are you believing for? What do you need? What breakthrough? What are you believing God for? And then on there as well, there's a place for you to write down the names of three people that you're going to say, I'm going to go and I'm going to stand in the gap. I'm going to be like Aaron and I'm going to go put myself in their realm 
to make a difference. And we'll, we'll collect those at the end of the service today. Prayer changes things. Aaron runs to the altar, speaks of prayer, and he, and he, and he gets some fire, and then he goes. He, listen, now he doesn't stay at the altar. He doesn't stay at the altar. Here's the one problem I see sometimes is that we can get really good at praying for our coworkers. We can get really good at praying for our neighbors. We can get really good at praying for the lost. But then we never leave and go position ourselves amongst them. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that now Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father, living to make intercession for you and I. He's interceding on our behalf. He's praying for us. But you know what he did before he interceded, before he prayed for us? He went amongst the people. He did a work amongst the people. And now he's interceding so that the work he did will be fulfilled. But yet as Christians, we oftentimes flip that. And we go in our prayer closet and we pray and we pray and we pray. God, would you save my coworkers? God, would you send somebody to tell them about you? And God's like, I did. It's you. You don't need a show of hands, but you know what I'm talking about. I know that you've prayed that prayer before. But notice what Aaron does he doesn't stay at the altar. He gets some fire, and he runs back out, and he stands in the middle of the people, in the middle of the plague, and because he stood. The Bible says where he stood, the plague stopped. Where you are with the presence of God on your life, the plague will stop. Where you are, where you stand, where you position yourself. As we go into 2014, I already shared this with the staff, but as we go into 2014, it is mandatory that each and every staff member positions themselves amongst unbelievers throughout the week. Because here's the thing, working for a church, I've led all of my coworkers to Jesus. It's true. They all love Jesus. And so I intentionally, you guys, I intentionally put myself, Tuesday night is my night to put myself out there amongst unbelievers. So Tuesday night, I'm, and I do something I enjoy. I go out and I play basketball. And nobody on my team is at church yet. They will be. Except for Arturo when he fills in. They will be. Why do I do that? It's time away from my wife. It's time away from my family. Because listen to me. If I don't position myself there, number one, I begin to forget what I used to be like. But number two, how am I going to reach anybody for Jesus if I'm not around anybody that needs Jesus? This is so practical. It's pretty good, too. Funny at times. Brilliant, mostly. It doesn't stay at the altar. What does he do? He gets up and he runs to the middle of the people. He puts himself where the people are. He puts himself where the people are. Church is awesome and church is great, but this is the place where you run and you get, you get the fire. This is where you come and you get the word. Why? So that you can go out pleading on Christ's behalf, be reconciled. To God. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled 
to God. Numbers chapter 16, there's so many takeaways from it today. But if we could just take away just a couple of things, that you can do things you don't think you can do. My wife, thank you guys so much for praying for her and, and even for Caleb as his stepfather passed away, my wife and her grandma. She went last week and she stood before her family. Many of them don't even know, most of them don't even know who Jesus is. But she stood there last week and not only honored her grandma, but shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. People come up to her afterwards and say, thank you so much, I've never been to a memorial service ever like this before, where you walk away feeling hope. She stood in. She stood in. Where God has placed you. Listen, come to church. Worship. It's awesome. I love it. Wasn't worship great? And it's great having two worship leaders up there. You see the little one in Becca's belly? They're pregnant. And once in a while you can see the little hands come up. <laughs> Worship's awesome. Man, the presence of God, you can feel him. But listen to me. When you leave this place is when the most important thing takes place. When you leave here, when you leave with the fire from the altar and you go out and you position yourself amongst the people, you have the one person, yes you, yes you, yes you, you have the ability to stop the plague. When you stand in the gap with the presence of God, the Holy Spirit on your life, circumstances begin to change. God, we thank you for your word today. God, we thank you that your word is amazing. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, please visit our website at www.canvaschurchsd.com.